It's time for Talking Pictures Trivia. A quick friendly reminder, a DVD player spins counterclockwise. One notable exception is the Nintendo Wii. Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of geographically challenged friends explore movies through trivia as an excuse to keep their friendships alive. I'm one of these friends, and today's host, Nick, and with me, as always, is... Tom. Additionally, joining us as guests this week are... Patrick. And KJ. Thanks for joining us. You may remember Pat from prior episodes such as Broken Blossoms, The Bride of Frankenstein, and The Fast and the Furious. KJ was also in a plethora of episodes, too numerous to count, and presently edits these for the enjoyment of all our listeners. Pat and KJ still conveniently like movies. For those joining us for the first time, we start off each episode with a movie quiz, as these pivotal questions will determine who earns today's trivia crown. In round one, each question is worth one point, and in round two, each question is worth two points. Then, once the fierce competition is over, we followed up with our famous movie rant, Where Anything Goes. Tom, tell us about today's movie. Today we're going back to 1927. Turkey adopts the Gregorian calendar. Babe Ruth becomes the highest paid player in MLB history when he signs a three-year, $70,000 per season contract. And Henry Ford announces that he is ending production of the Model T Ford. During all of this, F.W. Murnau's movie, Sunrise, was released in theaters alongside Metropolis, Wings, and the jazz singer. Although the jazz singer is considered the first talkie, Sunrise was Fox's first film released with a recorded soundtrack that would play with the film, making this the first Fox film that all audiences would have an identical sound experience. Sunrise is about a man and a woman who are simply known as the man and the woman, and he lives, they live on a farm, and he has since begun adulter an adulterous affair with a woman from the city. The woman from the city convinces the man to take his wife out onto a boat and drown her, allowing the woman from the city and the man from the country to be together. However, the man loses his nerve. Um, they, his wife and him, end up in the city together, enjoying a wild night of pleasure and falling back in love again. KJ, if you had one word to describe Sunrise, what would it be? Intimidating. Nick? Switcheroo. Pat? Um, romantic. And my word would be pleasure. It's time for question one. How does the woman from the city summon the man? What does she do? Locked in. Locked in? Locked in? All right, KJ, with that very convincing lock-in, what do you have? Well, I'm a little rusty on these questions. Um, I don't remember. It was a silent film. Did she whistle from the boat, from the dock? Was it a whistle? Not the dock, the marsh. Did she whistle? Okay. Was it a whistle? <laughs> Nick, what do you have? She was outside his window. So that's how she got him. Okay, Pat, what do you have? Yeah, she's outside his window, but she does whistle. Yeah, she whistles for him. So. All right, and the whistlers win. Very good. Wait, wait. It's a silent film. I didn't hear a whistle. <laughs> you, you, you yeah, I said he was outside the window. You don't, hear, you, don't hear, you don't hear anything, but she goes, but she clearly, she goes, <laughs> you can see okay, it. Okay, KJ got the whistle, but the wrong location. <laughs> I got the window. <laughs> so I still don't understand how he's getting a point when I at least was in the right place. She summons him with a whistle. She doesn't summon him with her presence outside. I'm a guest now. <laughs> I get guest privilege. Uh, okay, fine, fine. <laughs> I, I, I should have wait, elaborated that she wait, made a noise through the window. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I knew that. I didn't. I didn't know how to say it. Okay, whatever. Moving on. <laughs> she didn't just stand outside the window like she communicated. <laughs> but that's that was the question. <laughs> how did she do that? <laughs> So anyway, I want to kind of talk about the the setup here, and especially the kind of um, 
archetypal, maybe we could call them archetypal, uh, maybe naturalistic positions that these characters are at the beginning and how that, that beginning sets that up. What do you mean by the naturalistic? Like where, like the fact that they're in the countryside? What I mean, mean by that is much more like the, the kind of Emile Zola thing of like the, the kind of um, people in a situation that are driven by their kind of circumstance. Right, the, the kind of like um, art should reflect science and we should see people in as kind of biological creatures in a given context and uh, see how those things play out. And that's kind of my reading is that the film sort of starts there or is hinting at that. I don't know if I'm answering the specific question there, but I did find it interesting how the uh, farming folk found their way in the city so I thought that was uh, interesting. He thought he'd have to leave his wife to be with this other woman in the city to find happiness when really all he did was bring his wife to the city to find happiness. So it's not exactly where you're going there, but that was something that I thought about roles and, and I guess I don't want to say role reversals. They just happen to go on a, a nice little trip there, <laughs> but that's what was the catalyst to bring it back. I mean, there is certainly an element though to, to, to your point, Nick and, and Tom, it's like there, there's an element that it's like the, the, the countryside sort of has this heart, like sort of a harsh reality of it, you know, because they, they suggest a number of times like the farm's not doing well and, you know, they, they have to sort of deal with the day to day difficulties. But there's this suggestion that, no, if you just get rid of the farm and go to the, in the city, then everything will be great because you can enjoy yourself and have fun in the city. You can't do that in the countryside. Um, which doesn't actually really get undercut that much. <laughs> like there isn't that much of a suggestion. There is sort of a suggestion that the, country, the countryside is miserable. And in order to have a good time, they did need to go to the city and they did need to get out of, the, out of that particular environment in order to go um, sort of enjoy themselves. Um, but there is also an element that, well, what if, I mean, and I'm just thinking a lot, but there is a suggestion that, well, what if the woman from the city never had come to the countryside and they wouldn't have had this problem in the first place. So there is, there's an element of the countryside is harsh and difficult. Um, and, but if, you know, and in order to rediscover the love, they had to go to the city, but if the city had never come to them in the first place, they would have been fine. <laughs> it wouldn't have, they wouldn't have had the problem. So there's, there's, there's a bit of, there's a bit of a, a trade-off, I guess. Tom, do you think it's natural for people to want to be in the city as opposed to in the rural? No, I, I, I think the, the movie, I, I don't think the movie takes that position. I think I, I kind of agree with Pat on this in that the, the city actually is a place of pleasure and, and, and fun and all that. Um, and that it, you know, it, there is this escape. Uh, it's interesting. You bring up the point, like if she had never come, <laughs> it would have never been a problem probably. Um, you know, but I, I think there is this, I think there's this sort of hint at this kind of older style that you get from people like like um, Frank Norris and, and Zola of like, we are these kind of Darwinian creatures and we're in nature, but we're also kind of shaped by our circumstances and, you know, our, our kind of financial circumstances. And I think when the, when the characters go to the city, it's just kind of like, no, we none of that's true <laughs> you know we're we're gonna go and enjoy like this this modern um th this modern society with all its trappings of wealth and it's actually going to be very nice and very fun you know we're not kind of like predetermined beast so i think the movie is like entirely refudiating that attitude that was kind of that was kind of like the, the generation before it i i do think that is the suggestion that there is this idea that the city is not the, you know, it, it does not need to be the, the sort of noir nightmare that, that sort of it often gets depicted as, it, you know, in something say Broken Blossoms, which we did before, you know, the idea there is clearly the city is, you know, that she is crushed by leaving or, you know, he is sort of crushed by leaving the, the sort of nice place and going to the, you know, the, the, the sort of um, Asiatic purity and going to the city and, and he gets crushed there. But this, the only thing though I do think is that, that I would, that I just don't think you can get away from is the fact that she's, she's not, she is the woman from the city. Like that is literally her name. That is her definition. So there, there is still an element here though, that if you take that, there is still something about the city that can corrupt 
the countryside if it comes. So I don't know if the idea is, well, if the city stays the city and the country stays the country, then people from the country can go to the city and come back. But if the city comes to the country, then that's a bad thing. Like, I'm not really mm-hmm. sure what, what the idea there is. You also have to realize this is during the roaring 20s. So if this was like two years later, I don't think they would have had the same exuberance of the city. Probably so more, like actually. 29 through 39 is the Great Depression time period. And this movie came out in 27. So it seems very to the times of, of what the city represents. Yeah, I mean, during the Depression, like the movies about wealth were usually very positive. <laughs> they were usually very escapist. So it was like, you know, it'd probably be even more this. Um, I don't know about that. I mean, things like Gatsby, though, mm-hmm. struggled during the Depression because people didn't want to just hear about rich people enjoying but the themselves. Did well. Like, like Gold Diggers, the 33, and things like oh, that. Okay, that they, I don't yeah. I think it's also the only thing anybody. Actually, you're right, because I'm thinking things like Philadelphia yeah. Story and stuff like that. So never yeah, it was like a thing. really successful play and then uh, then feature. Yeah, but I, I think to your point, I'm not entirely sure what to make of she is the woman from the city and therefore this like corrupter or, or what have you. Um, you know, other than what I think you get out of that main character, um, the, the man, is he is very like, kind of ape-like and big and he's he's you know he's kind of awkward and he sort of responds to things in a less than genteel way <laughs> yeah so he just like if an attractive woman whistles at him he's he's gonna go sleep with her or try to sleep with her if somebody insults his woman he's gonna stab him in the face in a, in a very very unusual scene that was in the middle of the movie Oh, I love that scene. Off. That scene yeah. was great. Was, I, love was, that scene. I didn't expect him to stab him though. <laughs> I was I was shocked by that. I was like, oh wow, that was you know. Um, but he's still like this like kind of big kind of gorilla man. Um, and I think it's just like the woman from the city. Though you're right, you can't get away from the fact that she's from the city. She's also this this thing that's there to tempt him, right? That kind of brings out that kind of kind of animal thing that he is, um, you know, the like the, the separating of the country and the city is, uh, I don't think that's simple. I don't think we could just say one is for one thing and one is for the other. It's time for question two. What illegal activity does the piglet engage in? Locked in. Locked in. Does this movie take place roughly the year it was released? Do we know that? Is that, that or are we assuming that? Yeah, we can assume that. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, locked in. All right, KJ, what do you have? The the pig drank the wine, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Was this during the prohibition? All right, Nick, what do you have? <laughs> the pig did drink the wine. I'm making sure I'm answering the question that was asked. Yes, good. <laughs> and Pat, what do you have? To be fair, I don't think that drinking wine was illegal during Prohibition. It was the transport and sale of, or the manufacturing (laughs) specifically of liquor that was illegal. So if someone bought the pig after he drank the wine... Mm Well, well, as an that, example, my favorite because... my favorite thing I ever heard about Prohibition was that the Yale Club in, in New York City was so worried about Prohibition when the Prohibition was announced. They bought like a 25 year supply of liquor and could continue to serve it as long as they were not purchasing new liquor. So actually, so so in answer to your question, I think you are going for the fact that he drank the wine. However, the drinking of the wine specifically would not have been illegal during- I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go against Pat on this one. Um, I'm, 18th, 18th Amendment of the US Constitution- Does not prohibit uh, Adopted in 90s and made the making, selling, possessing, and consuming of alcohol drinks, alcohol, excuse me, alcoholic drinks, illegal. So, but you were still per however, the internet. <laughs> the law that actually that actually was made to enforce the amendment. Oh, I'm sure they're not, not going after everyone who has a, a drink. In but it's not even a question. It's not even a question. There was not specifically you. For example, people could purchase kits to make their own alcohol at home. That was acceptable. Became quite popular. 
So you actually could make your own alcohol at home as long as you didn't sell it. Does the 18th Amendment apply to all animals or <laughs> specifically pig? Like, where does the... <laughs> so you guys got the point. <laughs> <laughs> so I am going to go... So since clearly Tom is looking for the answer, and since I got in trouble last time for giving an answer... I think he already gave us the points. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he drank the wines. We'll go with that. He drank the wine. All right. So let, I wanted to bring this up just to talk about the party scene, the kind of the extended set. Apparently, it cost two hundred thousand dollars to build that that urban set. And you know, I wanted to talk about what we thought of it, how it how it factored into the the film viewing experience. So I loved the first act. I was like, all right, this is a Halloween movie. It felt like the Godfather Part Two when they're getting on the boat. And then they get to the second act after they go to the wedding and the movie completely changes into this party. And when the pig came on the screen, I'm like, I'm done. I'm done with this movie. I, why are we watching this pig now? Why? And then the, uh, the cook, I guess, sees the small ghost and gets scared. And I was like, Oh, I love this movie again. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> so I loved the party scene. It was, mm. it was great. I enjoyed it. It was it was like a sunrise, right? Like it's bright, beautiful. I think some of it went a little long for my taste. They were dancing for a very long time. Mm -hmm. So just certain scenes I think could have been condensed. But again, that's just a personal, you know, preference. When you have a silent film and they're doing repetitive tasks over and over again, really not much is changing in the routine. You know, it just kind of filled up some time for me. I liked when they got to the end though, and they because I think they they order their uh, they order their drinks or whatever, and then he doesn't have enough money to actually pay for the uh, for the drinks when they when the actual bill comes. Like I think that there is you know, and so she gets to go, you know, she she gets to have her moment where she can contribute to the party and finish and pay for their <laughs> drinks as they're as they're sort of leaving. But there is, yeah, I mean, it, it's time. I do think there's a little. It goes a little bit long. There's certainly no one one could make that could make that case. Um, but I think it's certainly a, certainly a, an effective scene. So Pat, for that, that scene where she pulls out the wallet or whatever to, to pay for it, um, Rachel, my wife had actually come down and was watching a little bit with me. Um, and she was shaking her head, but I like to imagine in the movie theaters in 1927, 28, whenever they were watching this, somebody turning to somebody else, like, <laughs> did you see that? Like that was probably a big punchline for that. Yeah, it's a pun. I think it's clearly right. a punchline. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it probably landed a lot better in 27 or 28 than it did. So <laughs> There's like only so many people who could it's... invalidate that <laughs> alive right now, KJ. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe. Mm -hmm. Right? In theaters at that age. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, I you know, I think it, it's interesting because all of this happens more or less after the dramatic conflict has been resolved and they introduce another dramatic conflict towards the end where maybe she drowned and we all kind of know she didn't and um but this this entire sequence is kind of you know i could go this is like the post denouement film the whole movie takes place after after the major suspense has been well resolved. that's why i thought we were going to be watching a different movie when i saw the general tagline or the premise of what was going on i thought there was going to be more of that back and forth and you know, we were talking, KJ, I think mentioned act one, act two, those are definitely not equally distributed. Uh, there's like the setup and then the city. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. the balance is a little off there. I kind of wish there was more of that conflict, although I, I did still enjoy the film. I don't want to make it sound like I was harsh on the film, but it was, I, I think I wanted more of that conflict. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it. it's, you can think of it that way, or it's like, the you know it's building to the city experience right it's kind of building to you know the the redemption and also the pleasure of of the redemption you know this kind of like marital bliss that's really how the film that's really what the film is showing or what the film is climaxing with um it's not with this kind of is he going to kill her or isn't he going to kill her that seems to be this kind of uh it seems to be this kind of thing that once you get out of this kind of this, this natural world and you can kind of like 
get away from those forces you can like go into this this urban place which is kind of magical and and there you can kind of reconnect with your wife or um you know enjoy yourself and it is it is an escape um it is an escape from the you know these kind of natural forces and this natural landscape that's on these people she forgave him pretty quickly right all told right he he was <laughs> going to kill her <laughs> and he started crying at a wedding and she's like oh all right well mm. let's go out for a night on the town like it's i don't know about any of you but that scene where he was like looming over her on the lake it actually reminded me of frankenstein the way he kind of was above and just his general posture and demeanor mm. and of course you know, I was already thinking people getting thrown in lakes, I think of a Frankenstein. <laughs> so yeah, it just reminded me of a Frankenstein. The only thing I'll throw at Tom is that I do think that it's, it's not, there is still some dramatic tension at this point because there is sort of a sensation of like, is this going to stick type mm -hmm. thing? Because it, you know, I, I couldn't remember actually how it would end it. Cause I was like, I remember that she falls in the boat, but I couldn't remember if she died or I couldn't actually remember what happened. So I was like, so at, at the same time that you're sort of like, well, yes, they clearly have reconciled. He's, he's not likely going to kill her, but what is going to happen when he gets back home um, mm -hmm. and whether or not he sort of falls back into his old pattern. So I think, cause it's certainly like, let's put it this way. You certainly couldn't imagine that movie of them just going, getting to the scene in the church and then sort of them going back because you would sort of just assume that like whatever had happened during this period wasn't actually going to work like there has to be some sort of like rebuilding of the relationship so there is still some sensation of dramatic tension at that point as to whether or not mm. it's going to work i just wanted to correct something for all my cinephiles out there um of course i meant frankenstein's monster so before you leave tons of hate mail uh, or comments in the in the uh, i thought you were just referring to frankenstein the film when you said you when you said yeah i thought they're just the product yeah, you were just yeah. you were just yeah. saying i thought okay. of frankenstein in quotes the film. that one yeah yeah yes. though i, I would welcome mail of any type yeah that's fine show. hate mail oh, anything yeah. i want to hear your hate mail <laughs> yeah, is this fine. me just stoking the fire <laughs> yeah. yeah i think that's a that, that's a good point that there's is this going to like, is this going to stick? Is this going to hold? Is something else going to like take him aside, right? Or take him back into his old patterns? Um, well, so I, I was watching and, and Rachel was there and I kept telling her over and over again, there is no conflict in this film anymore. And she's like, well, then she's going to die. Right. That was, she, she immediately thought that's the obvious conclusion that the, the wife's going to die. Um, and then she left and then I was like, oh, you were right there. She kind of drowned, saved by the bulrushes. But yeah, I, I don't know. I was sort of, I, I think by um by the time of the dance, I was pretty confident that they were they were going to be fine. By that point, you are confident because they've spent yeah. all this time building up to it. Okay, yes, this relationship mm -hmm. is gonna last and this isn't just a temporary thing. Yes, I agree. But I think that that's my point is if you just stopped after the wedding or mm -hmm. you know, just after the barber scene or one of these things, like yeah. you you need to actually take the time to rebuild mm. their relationship, which they do throughout the course of all these different events. I think if you don't do that, then it doesn't, it doesn't work. You don't get the sensation that this is permanent. Yeah. Yeah. It feels, yeah, it, it, it feels truncated or, you know, even if she's not in danger anymore, it's not, um, yeah. Even if she's not in danger anymore, it's not going to be, it's not going to be a, a rich marriage. All right. At the end of round one, we have a tie between Pat and KJ with two points a person, and Nick is there with one. In round two, each question is worth two points, so stick around to see what happens. Hi, Tom here. Our sponsor today is called Ultra Bag, the new ultralight, washable, and biodegradable shopping bag that folds up and fits into a purse or handbag. I had to look that up on my own because this is the copy the company sent to us. These large bags can carry a lot of confidence and humor, and people may try to keep their valuables on the road, on the side of the road, or try to do something. The soup bag is very beautiful and can carry a lot of interesting products and help people store their valuables when they go or try to do some things. 
The soup bag helps the housewife to act the highest level and removes the challenges of everyday life. Find your demons with the soup basket. Do you want to be a fantastic guy? Grab the kids by the heads and put them in this killer. Take one house a day. Ultra bag. Good bag. What do you want? And we're back. We're at the critical point of our episode where we ask the guests a key question. This one goes out to both Pat and KJ. If you could watch Sunrise with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be? Pat, how about you start us up? I would want to watch it with Alfred Hitchcock because I do love the opening because as people said, there is this sort of like suspense thing. It all, and it does have this kind of like psycho feel to it of sort of this, um, you know, the, the, the knife coming through the curtain when he's standing in the boat. And I think it would be, it would be fascinating to see sort of his, his impression of the film, which I'm sure he watched. Can't imagine he didn't, but I would love to hear his impression. I was going to say, if you go back in time, you probably could have watched it with him in the theater and see if uh, that punchline KJ was talking about was quite the knee <laughs> Actually, that's totally correct. He, think, that's Gal? totally correct. He would have been alive. He totally would have been alive. Well, you would have been, you would have been at, at a film watching age at that point. That's a good point. Yeah, in his 20s, I think. Certainly. Yeah. yeah. Same thing about 1899, that. 1899, he was born. I just knew that yeah. off the top of my head, I swear. Oh, it's Faulkner's here. So I got to watch this a little bit with my wife, Rachel, but I'd love to sit down with Rachel and really enjoy this movie with someone uh, you're in a relationship with. I mean, that first act would be a little a little tense. <laughs> really? Maybe like... Especially <laughs> no, when you no, got no, that no, friend not... visiting from the city. No, I'm just yeah. <laughs> no, no, just no, make no, sure the dog is outside. Make sure the dog is not... <laughs> <laughs> Running to the boat. Mm-hmm. But that, that second act would be a, a really lovely scene to enjoy with um with Rachel with my wife it's time for question three what does the man buy the woman when they first go to the city locked in locked in locked in all right KJ what do you have I also I'm just gonna guess flowers he buys her flowers Nick what do you have oh wait 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 a picture. I don't know if that matters. Which, what are you doing? Which one are you going with, KJ? The picture. Definitely the picture. I'm going with the picture. Hey, Nick, what do you have? I'm not going with the picture or whatever KJ said before that. Uh, he bought her some kind of like biscuits and she was very hesitant to eat them. Yeah, I was waiting for one of your round robin ones where you had to list everything that he bought her. So I made a list of them all. He buys her bread. Yeah, he buys her bread at the little cafe shop. Oh, but he buys her flowers first. Oh, does he? No, boy. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I thought he bought wow. the bread first. No. Mm. KJ, no. so close. I know. That the picture been the was after possibly. when they were happy Brutal. times. Brutal. Uh, <laughs> Yikes. Oh, they were smooching. No Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was a very good question though i don't i don't know if, any, if we had questions where everyone's gotten them wrong we've had a few with kj i don't know if you were on pat yeah i don't know anyway there's sorry. a few where we got them all wrong um, good question tom good question yeah so i i wanted to part of this was uh we actually covered a lot of questions in the discussion um so there was a a, a bit of selection here but i did want to talk about the the relationship between these two people and specifically about the performances this was um the the first actor actress uh, academy award went to um went to the actress playing the woman this year which back then was for your performances within a year not just one performance which is a far better way of doing it i think just you know how good was your year it's it's much closer to like MVP baseball thing than than whatever the hell the Oscars that's are. That's tough these days, though, right? Like how how I, don't know, I think it, I think it makes you a bit more selective because be- you can't just go and like do one you know sort of like mm-hmm. you know movie at the end of the year that's your Oscar bait like you know mm-hmm. and then do fifteen Marley and me's at the beginning of the year. Not to go on a, yeah, not to go on a tangent though, but I feel like only the popular people would be in contention when you would whereas now in the system you could have someone that could be their debut and get credit for it. That's the only thing that I would say. But yeah. again, not the purpose of this discussion. <laughs> I know. So what do people think of the that relationship? 
and that those performances she's she's quite you know again it's sort of silent films and there sort of is an element there is you know she's she is quite expressive she's quite mm-hmm. good with um because there's a lot of things that she does. I mean, part of it also has to do with, I think, with just her makeup and hair. And they do, they actually do a very good job of sort of keeping her hair in certain ways. It's very tight and done up like in a bun at the beginning. And it sort of slowly kind of falls down, I think. But but she she does have a, she is a very expressive um, actress. And I think, Tom, you said earlier that he has this kind of animal-like quality. Like, it does remind me of, like, Eugene O'Neill's Harry Ape kind of thing. Like, there is a very, there is a very uh, kind of quality of something like that. So I, I think they're both... It's it's quite effective. I mean, I I you know obviously I, I like silent films. I think they're fun, and so I think that this is a particularly interesting um, interesting one. I think a lot of good performances are in there um, that don't. There's 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 only there's I guess I would put it this way. There's very even throughout the film. There's very few. You know, sometimes the the silent films get big, a lot of bug eyes, and they get lots of weird things that people do. You only kind of get that a few times, like with like for example the waiter when he's like drinking the wine, does the weird mm-hmm. bug eye kind of thing. But I think. Um, throughout the film is a lot of there are a lot of very good promises from a lot of the a lot of the actors and actresses mm-hmm. you ever hear of face blindness yes I think they say Brad Pitt, agnosia is, the... is it so i think i have acting blindness like remember <laughs> uh i i can't really tell a good performance I, I mean every so often you can but like anthony hopkins sure but um remember when we watched infinity chamber tom the one where they get stuck in the prison and he doesn't mm-hmm. know if he's out or not yeah and there was the girl from that coffee shop mm-hmm. on that episode you said she was yeah she's pretty awful yeah yeah mm. i love like so <laughs> i don't think i'm a good judge of these uh yeah i had i could see that they were subpar actors <laughs> oh the, really and <laughs> no, no 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 not this oh, in infinity <laughs> chamber yeah <laughs> um, going back to to sunrise yeah i i like the performances a lot she's she has like i think my favorite moment for her from her is when he's rowing the boat to, to take her out to kill her and she's like leans all the way over to see his face and it's this kind of like little flirty movement she, you know she doesn't quite know what's happening but she you know she's very excited to go out and go to the city um and it's this like lovely little moment uh that i, I watched a few times <laughs> in, in getting ready for this episode that i really enjoy and i think um what I like about his, about his performance is that he kind of never loses that that bestial thing, um, even when he's he's softening or uh, becoming more sympathetic. Um, there's still this kind of like lumbering aspect to him, like when they're looking for um, the woman's body, and he's just leaned over the boat with the lamp in the water. Uh, you know that that kind of physical work I I really liked a lot, even though I think he's he's much more. Uh, what do you might say showy than she is um it still was uh i don't know it still was i think very effective especially since like you said pat he has a kind of hairy ape quality he's yank he's yank from the hairy yeah ape. yank from the hairy yeah which is it's a eugene o'neill play from what year was it 19 right in the right around yeah right around the 27 yeah. i think it is 1927 yeah so you know, so that there's yeah, yeah. Well, I, I won't say they're in conversation with each other, but um, you know, they're both drunk from the same thing, right? They're both drunk from expression. oh, early. It's twenty two. It's twenty two. Okay, yeah, they're, but they're both drunk from Murnau and O'Neill are both drawing from like German expressionism, just to vastly different ends. You know, Murnau was kind of like very celebratory of kind of the sort of shows of wealth. Um, and, and O'Neill is not, to say the least. Uh, but I thought that was interesting too, was like, oh, the you know, this, this like hairy ape thing, this kind of German expressionism has this product in very different ways throughout the 20s. It's time for question four. What is the name of the song that the man and woman dance to? Locked in. Oh, you mean the one that was not included in the intertitles of the movie? Oh, you you can you see the name of the song? They tell you. You do. Mm-hmm. How would I know? Well, Tom doesn't always know? play by the rules, <laughs> so that's why I totally thought I caught him, but I did not. Apparently, <laughs> KJ, were you in the same boat? Or uh, yeah, I figured Tom looked it up afterwards. Or yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. Just familiar too. with it from all the dances he goes to in the big city. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even guess from that yeah. era. Was it in the inner titles or was it on the like a 
Was it in the back? Like, was it a? It's not in the intertitle. I'm going to give you a a hint. Yeah, it wasn't in the intertitle. And was it referring to the song when we saw it? Or yeah, it's clearly referring to the song. Okay. Uh, locked in with a joke, I guess. I don't even know if I locked in or not. Yeah, I go for it. Lock in. Locked in. All right, what do you got, Nick? Kicking it in the big city. All right, KJ, what do you have? The electric slide. All right, Pat, what do you boogie, have? Boogie, boogie, boogie. <laughs> it is the peasant's dance. The peasant's dance. Yes. Yeah, the, the midsummer peasant dance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do we know what city this is, by the way? It's modeled after Berlin, but it's sort of a non-space, I think. Uh, <laughs> Those were some pretty uh, roaring seas to get from their little farm to this big city. <laughs> Seems like an ocean. Was You've been to Berlin? That wasn't... I've been to Berlin, but let's put it this way. Not much of it looks like that yeah. anymore. Yeah, I, I think it's, well, <laughs> yeah, that's a good reason for that. Um, but I think it's also fairly a, a, a kind of a non-space, the, the urban setting. It's, um, my own reading of it is that it, it kind of draws from Italian futurism, which has these, these kind of images of the urban where it's just kind of like material on top of each other in the painting. So like different metal uh brackets and steel things kind of on top of each other with like a, a kind of odd looking figure in front of it and the film kind of looks like that it has it has that kind of um layering of these kind of urban urban structures on top of each other they don't quite physically make sense um but they are really cool to look at this is one of the, the things I like about this movie. Another thing I like about this movie is that it like you could clearly see all the past influences, like like the futurism and the expressionism and and the naturalism, and it sort of doesn't care about any of them. It's, it just takes what it likes from them, but it doesn't embody any of them at all. It doesn't have like the like the techno futuristic war loving stuff of the futurist or the kind of the um, the, the sort of uh, uh, sadness or angst of the the expressionist, um, or the kind of you know whatever theories Darwinianism of the naturalist. It's just sort of like, eh, screw all that crap. Let's do, let's just go have fun and have a party. It's, it's Gesamtkunstwerk. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Tom, I, I want to go back real quick though to the setting. You said it was inspired by Berlin. I, it might have been. Is the I, setting U.S.? Because I didn't get any European vibe to this at all. It, it I was made. Was I, I, would have, I thought Chicago. Uh, yeah, that's I, actually Chicago is kind yeah. of the one that jumped out at me. I don't even know why. It it isn't. My understanding is it isn't. It's not supposed to be any place. It's just. Okay. But it's funny, from Pat. You Germany. says Chicago. Like yeah. I don't know why. I just. Yeah, I I've well. never been to Berlin. It kind of looks like the White City. Uh, from from Chicago, it might as well be because that was kind of a great demonstration of of you know mo- the modern urban. But I, I think it's honestly just not a real place, and it's not supposed to be. Tom, where where did they display the song? They, they ha- you see the sheet music on a trumpet. Oh, so the guy like, and then that's when she he won't dance, and she kind of prods him into dancing. So you see him take the sheet music out and put it on, and then the song plays. Yeah, I thought which I I thought they literally I thought they literally saw them and picked the music for them. That was the impression <laughs> oh, yeah. I got is that it was literally <laughs> literally suggesting that this is for these. That's a nice band, <laughs> not nice. Yeah. Well, they knew the dance, so they weren't too wrong. Yeah. So another big part of the set, and I think I'm using that word very loosely, was um, the film style he used where he would have two things against each other. Like there was a shot with a train coming out of a tunnel and a train going the other way. Um, I think he blocked mm-hmm. half the film in the camera and then very carefully added the other piece in. So I also feel like a lot of the mm-hmm. sets were influenced by that technique Right when we see the the shots of the city and stuff, it's it's not necessarily one set. Sometimes he's layering multiple things together to give that impression mm-hmm. um, of the. I, I never heard the word before, but the Italian futurism may have come from some of that, possibly. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it, I also right. like that overlay technology, KJ. And that's why I didn't know this at the time when even in our own intro, we were talking about how the talkies were beginning. I'm not surprised this was a film from the later part of the era of the silent film. And that the we should also talk about the the rush for synchronized sound because this movie was a big part of that like that contention. Um, I was shocked how much that that the sound coincided with it because again I didn't remember it that much and I and it was I was great. It's, it's, the music was great in yeah. this mm-hmm. film, but it's just like as as Tom said, you know, which, which uh, the. Um, the diegetic sounds, which I know we've, but you know, originally I thought, oh, one of the questions is going to be, you know, to list the diegetic we sounds. All did. And, and I went, okay, no, there's just way too many. <laughs> they're, they're all over. And, they, and they've got some of them are just like bells or some of them are like, they almost even sound like they had some voice recordings, even like, you know, sort of, you know, like yarble, yarble background yeah. sounds. But there's a great one, which I loved when, um, they're in like a barn and a horse sticks its head out and they have a trombone or something. Like, Whoa! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just love these. Like those are the, the sound is really, really fun throughout the film um, and, and is used to really cool effect. Like I love when they're going through the um, when, when they're looking for the body on the boats and they have that trumpet doing the like and i'm like oh that's cool like I just, pretty good just impression really right cool. there yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i was gonna say the sound is interesting because it, it's like the jazz singer is obviously the the first film with synchronized sound but apparently that beat this movie by two weeks to theaters so this would have been that because the jazz singer basically has the only synchronized sound in it is like Al Jolson gets up and sings and that's it. The rest of the movie is silent. Um, and so they used similar technology, but different. This had something called um, movie tone and the jazz singer had a, had a different type of uh, uh, a different type of technology, but that the jazz singer had basically a, a record you would play during the movie, but this had actually in the film, a place where if the light went through it, it created a sound. Oh, wow. So you could actually play this. This one? Oh, that's that? Yeah. Yeah. That was, that's shocking. It is. Yeah. It's, you could actually still, if you even, I think even an LED um, movie projector, if you could get the light to shoot through it, will make the sound because it's, it's about light going through this space. Um, and that was something like William Fox, the, the, the man for whom, you know, Fox is, is named, uh, who brought, Murnau to the states to make this movie. He like bought up the component technologies to to make this thing, um, and so that this there was this like really uh, this kind of like runoff to see who would get this movie out, who would get the synchronized sound out first, and apparently the jazz singer won by by a nose. Um, I'm actually curious if whether do you know this time like how did future films managed to synchronize sounds which were they using this sort of like actually synchronizing the sound with the film or was it just you you played the thing and you hoped it lined up at the right time i thought they were different trend i I thought they were different um what's the word i'm looking for well it's sort of like which which one won was it eight track or was it the cassette tape like i feel like they're different they're different ones which one won Oh, I don't know. I, I think they moved on to a different, <laughs> a different oh, I don't technology. Know. I'm not sure how long this this lasted. I'm surprised that it didn't last. My guess is that you can only do so much. Like you can only put so many sounds in there or you might only be able to get a certain quality of voice. I'm just shocked. I just think that's so cool. Yeah. I just think the technology of sound and matching films. I just assumed they all always did just taking a record player and you just put the record player out and hope to you got it to start at the right time. Ready, yeah. go. I, yeah, yeah, exactly. But I feel like that's what it was. And it, like that's why, you know, if the voices didn't line up or if it seemed slowly off, I assume that's just how it works. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated that there was an alternative I didn't know it existed. Yeah. Um, so another thing, this is a very late silent film. Uh, the inner titles were pretty cool, right? That guy doing the intertitles was getting into it. Um, some of the words like kind of drowned, right? There was animation mm-hmm. to the yeah. I yeah. I appreciated that a lot. Right? It's like a modern day DVD menu. Like it's a lost. Yeah, art. Was was that Carl Mayer who did that? I think he 
Because how they did... You're the only one who will be able to answer <laughs> that question. So, one of my favorite intertitlers, Carl yes. Mayer. He just... so, so Carl Actually, Mayer... Carl Mayer did the scenario. Is that what that did means? The scenarios, scenario? okay. So what so you would do is you would um, write out the scenarios and then you would later write out the, the actual lines of dialogue. So they came after the fact. Um, Carl Mayer should be familiar to us because he wrote the scenarios for another movie we did, uh, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Nice. So he was actually a very earlier in his career, of course. <laughs> yeah, for the previous decade. But he, he was a pretty prominent um, German writer uh, through the you know the teens and twenties. That's interesting because um, the version you watched had the German subtitles with the cool lightning bolts. They'll call them. I actually didn't see them. The version Nick and I watched for that they were English subtitles. So I don't think it was Carl Mayer's subtitles that we saw. I, I watched it with English. What what did you watch? Oh oh, cabinet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 the title cards. The title. Oh, the, the title, title cards. cards. I, I thought you were talking about uh, this movie in German. I'm like, really? It was in German. <laughs> um, well, I don't know that. Um, Berlin, right? Yeah, I don't know if he wrote the actual intertitles. Um, Mayer. Mayer might have written the scenario. So you would have you would hire a different person to write the the intertitles, and usually they would film a number of scenes that could relate to a number of different intertitles and just see which one they liked more. So the scenario uh, actually opened the movie up to a number of different, um, a number of different possible scenes in a number of different places. I think it's worth noting though that this film has surprisingly few intertitles, yeah. even for a silent film. Like there are, Very there can't be more than maybe a dozen. Yeah, if that. I really don't know. Yeah, there are very, very few intertitles yeah. in this film, which was, which I, I was shocked. Like it was very unusual. Yeah, it was, that was considered, that was, that was a marked thing. Having few intertitles was considered a skill. You were a good filmmaker if you had fewer intertitles. I guess it's like the equivalent of today, if you can make a movie with almost no exposition, then, you know, you're, you're making a more dramatic. It makes movie. sense. You don't need the words as a crutch to tell the story. Yeah, that, that's the kind of how it was thought. It. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, it's, it's, it's think of like the worst Ed Wood films where you just have like somebody just literally sitting there, like <laughs> talking, talking, talking as you zoom in on something like that's an Ed Wood film. Yeah. So, yeah. And it was, there was actually a contest between Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin around this time, um, a little earlier, who can make the movie with the fewest intertitles and I, I forget who won, but it was something like 30. Um, and this movie has far less than that. It's time for Movie Rant. All right, here we are at Movie Rant. Congrats to Pat for winning the episode. All right, gentlemen, do you have any, um, any interesting reads of this film? Anything you really like to talk about? Anything that caught your fancy? The random scene where that guy kept having to fix the shoulder of the dress <laughs> of the lady. Yeah. That it, actually, that was one of the ones that went on for a long time that for some reason I, I, I bought in on. Like, I thought it was kind of that's, funny. That's, that is, that's the Simpsons, like, shovel joke where Sideshow Bob, where if you did it, you do it once or twice, it's funny. You do it 10 times, it's annoying. You do it 15 times. He literally holds it up yeah. during her clapping and then it falls out. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was, uh, yeah, that was during the dance scene. Um, but it was really funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At least I wasn't alone then. Okay, I'm just happy. No. I just wanted to bring it up. It's completely random in the film, but I will say I did enjoy it. Yeah, no, you're, you're not alone. I, <laughs> I enjoyed that very much as well. I just want to throw out one because I think it was really funny, which I loved. And I, and I think it even fits in with like the dress falling over and I was going to think. So I think there is obviously like a, a sort of running uh, motif of, the relationship between men and women but i loved the at the ending when the guy who actually saved her and plucked her from the water and he's like oh yeah i know the um i knew the um the waves or whatever and he starts like he, like with her maid their maid and he starts like flirting with her maid and starts like leaning up against her and then the wife like pulls him away right? <laughs> and i love the fact that even even in the fact that this man just saved this woman from death you know, and the whole scenario comes out because of adultery. Like he's literally sitting in front of his wife, flirting with another woman. <laughs> I just, I love. I thought that was just such a really wonderful yeah. little touch at the end of the mm -hmm. film. I, I also, I wanted to bring. So there was one thing I want to bring up. If uh, a, a little 
a little history of drowning people in boats that I, I actually think is somewhat important to this is uh Wojciech? Wojciech, yeah, Wojciech's oh my god, that's another <laughs> one. Yeah, because Wojciech really happened, right? That was well, yeah. So the 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 like drowning people in boats trope. Um, it kind of, I was trying to look into, cause my reading of this is that basically it's kind of, um, it has this kind of naturalistic start and then it's just like, screw it. We're going to the city and, and kind of overthrows that, uh, or ignores or sidesteps, whatever you want to want to say that those concepts or those ideas. And apparently like the, the boat thing, um, we see it in, uh, Therese Requan, the, this, uh, uh, Zola play, which was when he tried to come up with naturalism in this play. It's about a, a cheating wife and her lover who tried to drown the husband. Um, but it's also in a kind of American naturalist, um, Theodore Dreiser, his, uh, if you've ever read American tragedy with his, the, which was based on a real, a real case, but it was, uh, from 1925, the book was published and it was kind of a, it was kind of like the twenties version of the executioner's song. But it has the same thing. It's kind of this like naturalistic thing where this guy drowns his pregnant girlfriend because you know, she's pregnant. Um, and that was also kind of considered part of this, this genre. And then you have the, you know, the Wojcik thing that you mentioned. Uh, so, you know. Well, Wojcik, I was thinking he, he tries to throw the, the knife in yeah, into the water, into yeah. the lake. But, yeah. Um, yeah. It's different, but I still feel like there is still this element of like hide, hide the evidence yeah. in the water. Is yeah, hide the, and I think like the boat thing where they're actually doing it in a boat is I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it seems to be speaking to you know these these kind of past iterations because like American Tragedy was a very big hit in in 1925, and the case it was based on was also you know a sort of kind of crime of the century style case. Um, and so I think like that's that to me is is that's how I read the the kind of halves of the movie. I know it's not exactly halves, but like the beginning is this sort of naturalistic kind of realistic thing. And it's it's sort of co-sponsor is this sort of romantic escape. And once you kind of experience the naturalism and you get away from that into this romantic escape, you can then go back home with something like a synthesis between those things. You're still you and a person in the world and whatnot, but there is, you know, there is fantasy, imagination, and pleasure that gets you out of that, those kind of constraints, the kind of constraints of the country. And so as much as the city is, you know, a, a danger to these people, I think it's also kind of the necessary romantic interlude that makes the country possible as well. I'd like to once again congratulate our winner of the week, which is Pat. And based on that last question, I believe he definitely deserved it. Yay. Yeah, well done, Pat. Nice Thank one. You. In addition to our website, TalkingPicturesTrivia.com, you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts as well as our YouTube channel. We are extremely grateful for any positive reviews as those help others like you find us. If you like what you hear, remember to like and subscribe to our show. Do you think the plan with the bull rushes was a good one and why? Or why not? Let's continue the conversation on Twitter at Talking Studios. Have additional thoughts? Email us at TalkingPicturesTrivia at gmail.com or give us a call at 201-467-8679 for a chance to be featured on one of our future From the Listeners episodes. Thanks again, Pat and KJ. Uh, you know what? Thanks, everybody, for joining us today. Where can people find you? In, in Queens. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at KJ1000. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at ThomasLayman15. Um, there is a B-side that came out. I'm doing another one. Uh, yeah, so the, the B-sides are back. Um, no, <laughs> I think most mostly no one has listened to any of them, but they're, they're coming back. So and they're, they're, they're out. New ones are out now. So uh, someone listen. Yeah, just to plug a plug. I, I listen to them. I enjoy them. I like them, Tom. They're oh, good. good. Yeah, Thanks. they're quite nice. <laughs> Yeah, you can't say and, no one. Yeah, entities People have, have, have been contractually obliged to some bot has scanned <laughs> that and enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, 
on that note, I can also be found on Twitter at the nickname. Join us next time when we discuss Tom's recommendation from Iceland in 2005, Rams. Stay tuned for our first impressions of this film. Ding, 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 ding. All right. So we're talking here 2015's Icelandic film Rams. Uh, and this is a first watch for me. I wasn't even aware of this movie. Apparently they made a remake with Sam Neill a few years later. And I was also not familiar with the remake starring Sam Neill. And I have to say, I love this movie. KJ brought this to us. Um, and he is a kind of last minute guest on this podcast. So I'm really, really excited KJ was on this podcast with us. Uh, Steve would have been great too. I'm really excited KJ's on because I I love this movie. Um, and it isn't without its flaws, certainly. It's not a perfect film by any measure, but I it, it really knocked me out. I uh, saw a lot of overlap with it and uh, an Englishman comes up, goes up a mountain and comes down a hill. I thought those, this film and that film work almost kind of as companion pieces, the sort of the comic and the tragic versions of one another. Uh, and so I'm really, really excited to talk about this. How did I watch it? I watched it on my computer uh, through a legal purchase, per perfectly legal. And um, <laughs> well, as usual, eating, I think fish, probably shrimp this time, but I'm very excited to talk about this movie. Is shrimp a, a fish? What are the rules on the uh, on the crustaceans there, Tom? I don't know. I, I it probably is not a fish. So yes, I, I was eating a crustacean this time. I guess it goes with fish. But uh, Tom, I can't take credit for this movie. This was actually suggested to me by a fan of the show, friend of the show, old fan, uh, Kagar. This is a a Kagar recommend, and I also really enjoyed watching it. Um, a few years ago, when Kagar recommended, I don't remember exactly how I watched it. Uh, but this time I watched it in my basement and today's one of the first cold days uh, here in the Philadelphia area and I didn't realize how cold it was getting in the basement and all of a sudden they go outside and it's real cold in the movie and I realized I'm real cold so it was a it was kind of a nice way to watch this in a nice cold uh, frigid you know your hands get real cold you know that the feeling where you're you're trying to do stuff but you're uncomfortably cold there for all of a sudden um and I think it really added to the movie. I enjoyed it. Uh, so uh, I, I watched this movie on my phone. Um, you, you know, you guys asked me to, to take part in this podcast. Uh, thank you again, of course. And uh, I've been really excited to watch it for a long time. And uh, unfortunately, that, that excitement didn't translate to me watching it you know, sufficiently ahead of time or anything. I watched it today on my phone. Um, but like KJ said, it's, uh, it's quite cold here. I thought it was really cool because the you know the movie starts out kind of idyllic and and green, and then gets cold, and I kind of felt like that's uh, sort of how this day went, I guess, um, just weather wise, not not mood wise or anything like that, but um, just weather wise, and I thought that was really fitting. I thought that was pretty cool. This movie was a pleasant surprise. I never would have picked this one up off the shelf, but I did thoroughly enjoy it. Uh, just like uh, a few other people here, it was a first watch, but I had the unique ability and experience to watch this on not one, not two, but three different devices. I started it on an old iPad, then moved to the big screen via um, Apple TV, and then back to the new iPad, which was higher resolution. So uh, yeah, I experienced this in multiple locations and eventually watched the whole film. But yeah, I did enjoy it. Looking forward to talking more about it. What types of vehicles do the husband and wife stop on the street when kissing? There's the types of vehicles. You don't have to name every single vehicle. Locked in? Locked in? Locked in? Is this a trick question, Tom? I think cars? it must be a, a trick question. <laughs> I don't think so, yeah. Trolleys, cars? Yeah. Trolley cars? Was that your answer? <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was last to lock in. I just jumped at the gun. I don't mm -hmm. uh, automobiles. Things have automobiles? Cars that actually have horns that are horns. Okay. 
So I was I was expecting like a list of vehicles. <laughs> uh, oh, I you said, said you said I you didn't have just... to list them. Be specific. Don't be specific. <laughs> so we went generic. <laughs> That's why, because I was like, I thought there was a horse there too. There was like a horse and like a horse and buggy too. That's why. Oh was... no, I don't. You don't have to list every single like. You don't have to say there's eight vehicles and they were this this. I this. just thought it was cool they that they it. actually had horns that were legitimately just like squeaking horns. All right, let's scrap this. I got a better question. <laughs> <laughs> Don't cut this, kid. Keep this. <laughs> Wait, is a horse a vehicle? Well, there was horse a, and no, buggy. a horse Let's and go. buggy. There was a horse and buggy. There was a horse and buggy. So, oh, oh, well, the buggy the would be. There was a horse and buggy. Yeah. It was a, a bus and a car. I still don't know the answer to that question. Were we supposed to list them? <laughs> It doesn't matter. 